1: Since I teach the reality of human survival, I hear from many people now who have just lost a loved one. Fortunately, I can share with them wonderful news. Our minds are eternal. Our loved ones are in a safe and beautiful place filled with love. And we certainly will soon see them again. That's 100%. But of course, even if people come to believe these truths, there still is the horror of losing someone we love and are close to, even temporarily, just losing contact. Widows and widowers suffer a great deal as they are working to adjust to their loss. But in my experience, bereavement suffering seems to happen with the loss of a sub-adult child. It's complicated in so many ways. Children are our next generation, the physical continuation of ourselves. Our whole instinct and every part of our will is to love and protect our children. So to find ourselves outliving a minor child, to have you know, failed to have protect that child and kept her alive and safe makes us not only grieve the loss of a loved one, but also grieve the whole family's future and the grandchildren, the grandchildren that now we're never going to have. We're stricken with guilt at having failed at the most important thing we'll ever have to do, which is, of course, the protection and preservation of our child's life. And frankly, having tried to help so many newly bereaved parents, five years ago, I finally asked one of them who was especially articulate to write a guest post on my website. This is this is rare. I never, ever have. I think there's only one other time I've done it. But Brian D. Smith is a very special person. He's a certified life coach and a grief partner and small business consultant. And he became very well acquainted with grief in 2015 when his beautiful, beautiful 15-year-old daughter unexpectedly transitioned in her sleep. Brian was devastated by Shayna's passing, but he had to survive for the sake of his wife, Tawana, and their other daughter, Kayla. So he had to go forward, and over the past five years, Brian has grown so much. Soon after Shayna transitioned, he discovered the Helping Parents Heal Association, which is a peer-to-peer support group for parents of departed children. He volunteers with Helping Parents Heal, works on its board, and he's a leader of the Helping Parents Heal online group. He's the author of a, a book I've just reread and enjoyed, Grief to Growth. That's a, There's a two in there, Grief to Growth, Planted, Not Buried, which is subtitled How to Survive After Life's Greatest Challenges. He also is the host of the Grief to Growth podcast. Brian, welcome. I'm so glad to have you back with us today.
0: Thanks, Roberta. It's great to be back with you again.
1: For those who didn't hear our first uh, interview, um, Tell us a little bit about Shana, because I know that she just had an odd set of health problems that that, that just apparently overcame her. But um, she, she was a kind of special person anyway, right? Oh,
0: well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think – well, we all, of course, think our children are, are special. Uh, Shana, to talk about her health problems, there was nothing that was supposedly life-threatening. Um, she had rheumatoid arthritis, uh, RA, and she was on medication for that. And she was actually – in remission. She wasn't really showing any symptoms at the time. She was very active. She was a volleyball player, basketball player. She actually just returned from a national volleyball tournament um, a couple of days before she did uh, transition. Um, she did have a, a minor heart condition that had been diagnosed by a cardiologist three or four years, I guess, before her passing uh, called Wolf Parkinson's White. And what that is, is a condition where the heart will uh, periodically speed up for a little while. And in Shana's case, her heart would speed up for about 30 seconds at a time. And then it would return to normal. Uh, Oh,
1: oh, strange. Yeah, we'd take
0: her to the cardiologist um, a couple of times. And she'd had a procedure. And long story short, they said that she was clear. She was clear to play volleyball. She was clear to exercise. She was clear for everything. They just said she should come back every couple of years just to make sure things hadn't gotten any worse.
1: Oh, wow. She wasn't even on medication for this.
0: No medication at all. Yeah, no medication oh, my. at all. In oh, fact, my. at one point, she had worn a monitor for a month to to monitor her activity to see what happened when it actually happened, you know, out in the wild, to say, not in the lab. Yeah, right. And never had an incident that entire month. Um, and when she would have an incident, it would be sitting on the couch. She'd say, you know, Daddy, my heart is, is racing now. And, you know, 30 seconds later, she'd say, okay, it's, it's slowing down. Um, she never lost consciousness or anything like that. So... To, I say all this to say her passing was totally unexpected. She had some minor conditions, but we we considered her to be fully healthy and expected her to live a normal life lifespan.
1: Oh my goodness! And so then you went in to wake her, or or, or your wife did, and um, she was she had transitioned.
0: Yeah, my wife went to wake her up. It was um, June twenty fourth, twenty fifteen. I will never forget the day I got up. Oh. I thought it was a normal morning. I, yeah. I go for. A long walk every morning so i went out for my walk and came in was in my office working and my wife had been trying to reach shana to get her to come down to the basement to work in our business we have a business where we ship products out of our basement and shana wasn't responding we just assumed she had overslept and my wife went in to wake her up and i i never forget her scream when you know shana wasn't responsive. oh
1: my and lord
0: i gave her uh, cpr for you know until the ambulance arrived um And we took her to the hospital and they worked on her for a while, but realistically she was gone before, you know, we had left the house, but you don't want to accept that as a parent. It's just like, I don't know how to even describe to you, you know, you know, being in the ambulance on the way there and knowing she wasn't breathing, but just, just holding out hope that somehow she would, you know, come back.
1: Oh Lord.
0: So I'm so
1: sorry. I, I, I guess I hadn't heard you tell that story, Uh, but I, I just think it's, it's everyone's worst nightmare
0: it really is it, it is everyone's worst nightmare the the thing is you know five and a half years later, and having talked to so many parents who have had children you know transition it's it, we it's we can we can endure a lot more than we think we can you know and i when I think about that day you know for a long time it would just it would just trigger this post traumatic shock but I've done some work on it since then and and I can talk about it now and I can think about it without feeling that that gut-wrenching pain that I felt oh, in first. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: What was the first thing you did to sort of try to get your, your mind around this and try to deal with it?
0: Well, this is, the, you know, to go back a little bit, I had a fear of death from the time I was about Shana's age when she transitioned. From the time I was in my mid-teens, uh, I had thematophobia, like bad. I would have panic attacks. Oh, my. Um, so um, when, about f- a few years before Shayna was born, I started really studying the afterlife, everything I could get my hands on to try to get over my own fear of death. So by the time Shayna had made her transition, I was confident. I knew Shayna was okay. I never – there was one thing, one blessing in my <laughs> that's, life.
1: what a blessing that is. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I
0: never had to worry about whether she was okay or where she was. Um, that's That's one thing that a lot of parents go through that I didn't have to. But what happened is, just like everything else in my life, is a series of synchronicities. I'd done a lot of research on the Internet about the afterlife, so I got on the Internet and I started pouring my story out. In fact, it's really while The day after she passed, um, I just had this feeling, you need to start a blog. So I started a blog the day after she passed to chronicle my my journey through this whole thing. Yes. And I was reaching out to people and someone said, you should contact this guy named Mark Ireland. Uh, he had a son transition. He started an organization called Helping Parents Heal. So I yes. contacted Mark and he and I started emailing back and forth and he and I talked a few times and he, he sent me the books he had written about, you know, about his son's transition. And uh, through then listening to you, I, I, I got in the podcast. That was when I really got in the podcast. And I found your podcast and Sandra Champlain's. That first, yeah. couple couple weeks after, a lot State of people Division.
1: do the same thing. For some reason, people are paired in people's minds, which I yeah, just love.
0: I found both of them like right away, and I listened to every episode I could get my hands on. And I I would go, I would take my walk in the morning, I would listen to the episodes and just just trying to wrap my head around what's this, you know, what does this mean? What do I do? How do I go on? Um, because frankly, I didn't want to. I I, I did not yes. want to be here. Um, so, you know, fortunately, I, again, long synchronicity series of events. I ended up meeting Elizabeth Bussan. She lives in, uh, outside of Phoenix. I just happened to be there on vacation. I had never been there with my family before. Yes. And we met and we started, decided to start a chapter Helping Parents Heal here in Cincinnati. And then yes. a little bit after that, we started the online group. And, uh, there are about 14,000 people, I think now, Helping Parents Heal. Um, I'm on the board. And so what I do now is I I try to help other parents that are parents or anybody else, but especially parents that are going through this, you know, the same thing. Helping Parents
1: Heal, I I, I like to just mention um, to everyone listening, because if if you know someone who has lost a child uh, or anyone that you think they can help, Helping Parents Heal is a wonderful organization. They're loving. It's it's. You know, parents helping parents really to get through this worst thing that can ever happen to you, and I've heard so many good things from people who have been helped by them. So I'm just happy to give them another plug. I think they're I think they're great, and you're part of it too, which is wonderful. Um. So, do, so do you still run a separate organization, uh, helping parents heal chapter in Cincinnati?
0: No, we don't. Uh, our chapter in Cincinnati, frankly, never really took off. And so we were my wife and I felt like we were kind of being underutilized. Um and I'm I'm really into the internet, so I we were like, why don't we start an online group for helping parents heal? But yes. don't have a chapter close. So yes. there was already there was already a group, but it wasn't really active in terms of meetings and things. And now that's grown to um I think there's there's well, we grouped about six thousand people before it merged into the main online or, or main group. So if you if you're looking for helping parents heal, it's helpingparentsheal.org. dot org. Or helping parents heal on Facebook, and you can join the group. Uh, you have to be a parent or a grandparent of a child who's transitioned, because we really want to be people that really understand what this is like. And right. they right. have uh, meetings, oh, usually once or twice a week, uh, with people such as yourself and people that have near-death experiences, people that are, are mediums, um, all kinds of grief, you know, experts. And it's all volunteer. Uh, there's no charge. There's no membership fees or anything. Um, so it's it's a fantastic organization that saved a lot of people's lives.
1: Yes, I, I've, I've seen that. I've seen the wonderful work they do. Are mm-hmm. they doing a conference this year?
0: Um, no, we will not be doing a conference this year. We were just talking about that. Of course, with COVID, um, we, yes. we, couldn't, we couldn't do anything live. Last year, we were scheduled to do a conference in April. We ended up doing it virtually. Um, yes. And I don't know if we'll do a virtual conference this year or not because – Frankly, what we did because of COVID is we ramped our meetings way up from having a meeting yes. every month or so to, like I said, sometimes we're a couple of meetings a week. So it's really wow.
1: uh, it's, That's
0: just, great. it's, oh, and it's available so to everybody amazed. around yeah. the world that way. So I don't yes. know if we'll do a conference until you know, probably next year.
1: When I read your book again, I found things in it I hadn't found before. I should just tell everyone, Grief to Growth, with two in there in the middle, is a book for people who have gone through the kind of thing that that Brian went through, who have lost a child. And it's from the viewpoint of someone who is obviously still grieving, but is trying to get his mind around. It's an easy-to-read book. It's not a very long book. Which which is what people want nowadays. Everyone wants, you know, just the facts, ma'am. Just mm-hmm. give you know, give us give us the pithy points and your book is written that way. And I thought that it went beyond what many of these books do, because it's not so much self focused. It's not so much focused on Brian. It's focused on what Brian was learning and growing and trying to understand. So I thought it was quite powerful. I I, I enjoyed reading it a second time. But now I want to talk about some of the little bits that I picked out of it. One mm-hmm. it was you, you started talking about Immanuel Swedenborg, who was a, you know, in the 18th century. He, he was, uh, I guess a channel. I read him a million years ago and I, I'm not sure. But what, what struck me is what you said, which has really had me thinking. You said that he talked about the fact that there had been a time when there was much, much more contact between the living and the dead. But Mm -hmm. as we became more in our heads than in our hearts, you know, as civilization, quote, progressed, we lost that. And that's the source of what we all talk about as the veil. You know, the fact that we we don't have close communication. Mm -hmm. But, But he said at one point we did. Can you remember that part of the book and talk about it a little bit?
0: Um, yeah, that was actually, and, and, and honestly, I, Swedenborg is very difficult to read. So what I encourage people to do, this is what I do, Lazy Man Swedenborg, I guess. There's a channel on YouTube called <laughs> Off the Left Eye, um, and they have a, a podcast also it's run by a guy named Curtis Childs. So they break Swedenborg down into bite-sized chunks that us normal people can understand. So right, I, I want to give a shout out to Off the Left Eye, or, or you can do go to YouTube and search for Swedenborg. But my understanding of what Swedenborg was saying, and, and this makes sense if you think about even terms of today, is that one time we were much more connected, that these these dealings across the veil were just seen as commonplace. And people kind of walked between the spirit world and the, and the natural world or the physical world. Now, if you think about today, indigenous cultures, most of them are much more closely tied to their ancestors and they have a better understanding of the afterlife and who we are, I think, than we do here in the West. And right. what f- I'm finding now a lot of people in the West are turning to indigenous uh, spirituality and kind of co-opting that to get back to our roots. You know, shamanism is coming, becoming huge here, here in the West. Um, right. I just interviewed a guy for my podcast, Lionel Friedberg, who was born in South Africa. And he, he it's a long story, but he ended up going to these West, these uh, South African. Um, I can't remember the exact word they use. They're not. Witch Doctors is what people, you know, the, the colonists called them. Yes. But he ended up going to these people and this woman told him like his whole life when he was like nineteen years old. Oh, and he's now wow. in his seventies and he's lived out pretty much everything she told him.
1: Oh, my goodness, so really.
0: There is there is we could still make that connection today, but we've gotten, as you said, so in our heads. And so it's fascinating when you listen to Swedenborg and he and he was a he was a channel, he was in his like mid fifties. When he started having these visions, and he mm-hmm. was he was crossed back and forth between here and the spirit world, he got to experience what it felt like to die, and he re- writes extensively like exactly what it feels like to die. Um, not a near death experience, but he actually got to feel like what it feels like to when you die. So, right. um, a fascinating guy, and it and and the more, and I'm an engineer, I'm a scientifically minded person, so I, I I'm all about how does how do things work, but I'm really convinced that the biggest problem in the world today is that we've forgotten who we are as human beings. We don't. That's walk.
1: true. Yes, that is so true. And we know now that the veil is being thinned again quite deliberately so that we are, we are actually, I mean, I hear from people who are in, who basically the person that they love, that they thought often it's a spouse that they, they thought was gone is actually very much in their lives. Still. Um, They, they chat all the time, mm-hmm. which, I was not hearing about that 10 years ago or even five years ago. I really think the veil is, is is thinning quite rapidly. In the last two years, I've actually heard from a number of widows who are whose husbands visit them for physical sex. And they say, is this normal? And I, I, in the beginning, I thought, oh, my God, no, of course. But I've heard about it so much now that I think probably it is. This is part of the thinning of the veil. People continue their marriages. It's quite amazing
0: yeah and i've actually heard the veil described as the flesh you know it's interesting we think of the veil yes. as, a, as, as a separate thing this this entity that's between us and the spirit world but i've also heard it described as actually our body is, is the veil and if you think about it, you and i i think agree on this the brain is a filter as opposed to being the, the generator of consciousness is more of a receiver or a filter Yeah. and so exactly. that's actually the veil the veil is our our five senses that like basically block out everything else, and if you think about like an analogy is, um, you can only see the stars at night. the stars are there during the day, but when the sun comes out, you can't see the stars because of all the light. Well that's kind of the way our five senses are. The, the, the spirit world for us is is subtle, and so we have to really get quiet and calm everything else down before we can actually reach across. So uh, as people get attuned to that, then our perception is the veil is thinning.
1: I thought you had some very good thoughts about what grief actually is and how it works, how it, how you accommodate it in your life when you, when, you know, when grief comes to the door. One of the things you said is that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who I love, her five stages of grief really have to do with if you die, but they're not about and those five stages, by the way, everyone, are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And you say mm-hmm. people who lose someone close to them don't go through those. Talk a little bit about grief.
0: Yeah. The thing is you can go through some of those when a person uh, that you love passes away, dies, transitions. But you don't necessarily go through those five stages. And you certainly don't necessarily go through them in any order. And there are a lot, a lot of other anger or emotions that come about. When you're when you have a loved one transition. So while that's a somewhat useful model, I know some grief counselors use it. um, I I know others say absolutely not. And I don't and more accurately, it applies to the stages of learning of your own death and accepting your own death. It's not exactly the same as going through grief. Grief is uh, I heard it put grief is actually a container for emotions. It's not an emotion in and of itself. So when you're in grief, you're going to go through all those things, anger, depression, denial, bargaining, you know, acceptance. But you're also going to maybe go through guilt. You may go through numbness. You may, um, you may go through you, – you can actually have some joy involved with grief. I mean, there, at, at later stages in, G, in grief, there's this, there's this really weird sense of when you, when you remember a loved one, you have a memory, you'll feel pain and joy at the exact same time. Um, memories can become, you know, like bittersweet. I'll, I'll sometimes see the picture of my daughter and it'll bring tears to my eyes. But it's also it's because of the love that I have for her, not just the pain. Right. So it's a it, grief is a it's a constant companion, you know, once once you get into it. But it does change over time. It does. It does morph into something that you learn to live with.
1: Do, do you think it it hits people differently or it, or is it? Pretty predictable how it hits
0: people. Have no, you? Absolutely, hits people differently. There, there are some things that are fairly common. You know, like early on, there's usually shock, and yes. there's numbness, um, and and some people, sometimes people freak out because of the numbness. They'll say, "Why do I not feel anything?" And that's because your body just shuts down. There's, there's too much for you to take in, and especially in those very, very early stages. Agree that first week or, or six weeks or you know a few months you may have a really unreal feeling. Um, some people get brain fog. They can't remember anything. They can't concentrate. Um, some people might overeat. Some people stop eating. Um, some people sleep too much. Some people sleep too little. So it's it's really different for everyone, which means everyone has to walk out their own journey and learn what works for them. I, I, was, uh, I interviewed a young woman who was going to people, and they were saying, well, you should try... Walking, and she said, "Well, walking doesn't work for me because my mind races too much. You should try yoga. She said, yoga didn't work for her. You should try, you know, all these other things. And finally, she realized she got into weightlifting. Weightlifting somehow put her in a in a mode where she could actually think about, you know, the weights and concentrate on on the reps. And it, it was her way of mindfulness. And that's what worked for her. So what I tell people is there's some things that are you know fairly common. You're not going crazy if you feel numb. You're not going crazy if you feel um, some parents, especially, you might have suicidal thoughts. Um, that's fairly common. So don't don't think you're going crazy if these things happen to you. But you've got to learn your own thing that works for you. You know, you don't have to do what, what works for somebody else. There's
1: there's not a prescribed way to handle this. You've got to make make it work with your daily life. As you said, I don't move on from grief i move forward with grief it doesn't you don't leave it in the past but you learn to accommodate it in your life
0: yeah you know it's interesting i'm i'm five and a half years in and you know so i don't know what it's going to be like for me in in 20 years you know i i don't know But I feel like grief is will always be a part of my life because I will always have love for my daughter. I will always have that longing for her. Now, again, it changes. I don't when I say that, I don't want people that are going through early grief to say, oh, I can't deal with this the rest of my life because it will not be the same. And it doesn't have to be the same, I should say. It's your choice. And it's it's a process. You've got to work on your grief. You've got to work with your grief. But you can you can transform it. And uh Someone told me early early on i 'll never forget this was like when the first about a week after Shana passed, I was working with a counselor, and she said, "Imagine your heart you know here 's your heart, and now it 's got a big hole in it, and the edges are raw and they 're ragged, and everything hurts. She said what will happen is over a while those edges will smooth out and the pain will will lessen it' will deaden, but you'll always have that hole in your heart, and that 's the way I, I look at it i 'll always have this." longing for my daughter and my and the connection to my daughter but it's not the same as it was you know five and a half years ago and hopefully in five years from now it'll be even different from from the way it is now
1: one of the things that you say that made me glad is you say that we always assume in fact i've always heard that um having a, a, a loss of a child is one major cause of divorce
0: but you say that's not true Now that's a myth. It came up, it was reported in a book somewhere and people just took it and ran with it. Oh,
1: wow.
0: I'm so glad about that. (laughs) I remember after Shane had passed, a well-meaning friend said, I I hope your marriage is okay. Because you know, 80% of people whose children transition get divorced. And I'm like, well, great. Thanks for throwing that on top of it. Everything
1: else. Right. Um, And
0: I'm happy to report that is not true. That that is a myth. Um, it's, It's not true that that happens. Now, when grief happens to you it exposes so much and it and it, it it rips everything open and it makes you reevaluate your your life everything about your life so there there it may be true that people decide okay i we're just not right for each other um but you can actually grow together and i've seen couples that that come together and and grieve together and actually can grow stronger and i think that's what happened in the case with myself and my wife because we determined that we had to heal for each other and for our daughter, Kayla, and we were determined to do everything that we needed to do to do that.
1: I, I really think that the two of you make a very cute couple. Um, I mean, we've, we've seen each other, I should just say. A lot of people I know well I never have met, but um, Brian and Tawana and I were at a, a conference, and um, I got to give them hugs and stuff. But what a cute couple you make. I have to just say that. Thank you very 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 nice, very loving she's always smiling she's a very sweet person. but all right so that's something important. It's not. We, we shouldn't look as if the, the as if the, the loss of a child means where I'm gonna lose my spouse too that's not necess- that's you don't think there's even a connection really to it I,
0: I think there, I think there can be. Uh, you know the thing is uh, there are I work with clients where one partner, says, I want to remember our, our son or daughter and honor them. I'm going to put pictures up all over the house. So I'm going to oh, talk yeah. about them every day. Make
1: and the other try. partner
0: says, I don't want to ever say their name again. i want to forget they ever existed. Um, that uh-huh. obviously can, can cause friction. Um, it can also, it's, like I said, it exposes things that were there underlying that maybe weren't spoken,
1: yeah. where
0: you've said, okay, I'm just kind of hanging on and tolerating this. And when grief happens, you reevaluate everything and you say, well, why do I want to waste my life with this relationship? That's not working anyway. Um, Yeah. okay, that's a good point. There can can be a connection. Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But it's not necessarily a thing that's going to drive you apart. I think it's really, really important to honor each other, that we all grieve differently, that if your partner doesn't want to speak their name very often or, or you don't see them crying, it doesn't mean they don't care. I think and then to use some, you know stereotypical language, but I think it's true. often men will bury their grief and they'll cry in the garage or they'll cry in the shower, or they may pour themselves into the work so if you're if you're the mother of the child, for example, don't look at it and say, Well, he doesn't care as much as I do; he just expresses it in a different way, yeah, and, and if we honor that in the other person. Um, Then you know we can we can weather the storm, and I think we can grow. I think every event that happens in our life, we can grow stronger from. It's just a matter whether we choose to or not.
1: Yeah, you talk about finding purpose in your grief. Um, What 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 do you mean by that? Finding purpose is is it like what happened to you when you began to be, be this person, this wonderful person who helps others in the same situation, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like, OK, I'm going to go out and write a book or I'm going to start a podcast or something like that. But, you know, for for me, and this is this is a hard thing. You know, I, I work mostly with parents, but not exclusively with parents. When you tell a parent, you know, maybe there was some purpose in your child transitioning early. And when I remember when Suzanne Wilson said that to me in one of the first meeting readings I had that. Shane had come to her and said this is the way it had to be we planned this yes. um, yeah, planned. you' say why why would I plan <laughs> yes. this 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 makes no sense um but if you if you start to look for purpose if you if you just see how might this have you know created something then you can start to see little it's just like a seedling you start to see little things start to pop up you know you'll start to um, you might, again, you might say, okay, I I'm out of this terrible job I've had for my, cause I hate this job and I'm yes. going to go do something else. Or you might start a foundation or a scholarship fund in your, in your child's name. Um, and you, it, it, will it, it changes people in your family. You might have different relationships. Now, again, it could be for good or for bad. I find some people, their child transitions and their family just walks away because they just can't handle the pain or right. they, or they right. never mention the child's name again. But it can also cause you know in your family to start having conversations that you maybe never had before, and start to talk about things like what's the meaning of life, um, and you know why are we here, and um, what do we believe about the afterlife? You know what do we believe happens when we transition? Because we're we're all going to face it or one day. But we tend to think we have forever, you know. And and, and when a child transitions, it re- it's a reminder that tomorrow is literally not promised to any of us. And so it it can be an opportunity to like reevaluate all those things and to take stock and start to do something with it. So I do happen to believe in soul planning and I tell people, you don't have to believe in soul planning. That's fine. You don't, don't have to believe it, but this event has happened to you. What are you going to do with it? Whether you believe it was planned or it was an accident, it's still your choice how you, how you handle it. And the thing is we have no choice. We don't we can't control the circumstances that happen to us, but we've absolute control over how we react to them how we respond to them. So it just helps me to believe it was planned because if it was planned, it must have been planned for a reason. And if yes. it was planned for a reason, what was that reason? And you have
1: to find it, yes. Yeah. I think another thing it's important to say is this those that we used to think were dead, who, who communicate with us. Tell us, and this, I, I mean, I don't believe there are alwayss or nevers in, with regard to the afterlife because it's all just so complex. But they mm-hmm. say every child who, who sub adult child who dies, A, is always a very advanced being who didn't need to live a whole lifetime. And so what they did to, was come as a gift to their family and their loved ones to give them the gift of this, of this experience of having lost a child. That's one thing. And another thing they say is that it always was planned. The child planned to leave at that early time. Um, I have had a lot of trouble accepting this, but but the dead tell us that consistently. So there's comfort though as you say in knowing that this is part of a larger scheme and she didn't need to she didn't lose anything by leaving because this was probably her very last earth lifetime and she made it a gift to her family. I think that's a wonderful thing in a way. When you think yeah. about it that way.
0: Yeah. You know, the thing is, again, we can choose whether we believe that or not. Some people some people say that there are accidents. Some people say there are no accidents. Um, And when there's there's a a, a dichotomy like that, my mind goes to I think it's a combination of both. It's kind of like light is a particle and a wave at the same time. We can't wrap our minds around it, but I think there is free will and there is there is some determination. But I do believe whenever anybody transitions, it's the right time for them.
1: Yes. Um, yep. So
0: I believe that, you know, and, and we know this is so. what we believe, what we know. We know that Shane is not missing out on anything because, as you say, I love the way you put that. The people we thought once once thought were dead. No one dies. When no, people, no, no they're having a heck of a time, actually. Yeah,
1: they step outside the bodies
0: and they're yeah. like, hey, this yeah. is great. I'm happy. I'm back home. So I, when we view... The death of a child as, as a death, as a they cease to exist, that's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. When you do the, view the, the passing of a child as a graduation, that's not a tragedy. That's, and we all come to Earth as a school or a gym or an obstacle course or a video game, or I like to use a lot of different analogies. But whatever analogy you want to use, at some point, we turn off this game. We wake up from the dream. The play is over for all of us. Yes. So whether it's 15 years or 80 years or 90 years, no life is tragic and no life is cut short.
1: One of the things I really like about your book is that you talk about how someone who's gone through this and is trying to cope and learn and grow, how you actually do that. It's, it's not uh, – you don't just say, oh, you've got to get past it. You really show people what helps, and I think that's wonderful. You say, for example, that
0: being grateful – Helps. Why is that? Yeah, that is a wild one. I remember when I heard that, <laughs> I was like, You've got to be out of your mind. Right. Uh, what do you mean I should be grateful? You know, and, and people misinterpret to say oh, you should be grateful that your loved one, you know, passed away. No, that's that's not it at all. It's really it's a couple things. One is our minds can only hold one thought at a time, and people think we can multitask. We literally cannot. We're more like a computer, we can do one task at a time, but we can switch yeah. back and forth really quickly. So if you start to practice gratitude, you cannot be grateful and be and be uh, depressed or sad at the same time. So and, and you can actually train your brain to practice gratitude, which actually will build in a mindfulness practice for you. So one of the first steps I tell people, because there's a whole lot of steps and I don't want to overwhelm people. But I always start everybody with this. When you wake up in the morning, think of three things you're grateful for and not the same three things every day. And not, you know, it, it doesn't have to be anything big and put it in a positive form. So not I'm, I'm grateful that I'm not starving, but I'm grateful that I have food. I'm grateful that my bed is warm. I'm grateful that I can walk um, during coronavirus. You know, I'm grateful that I can take a deep breath. So start to practice that three things in the morning. And then it's funny because I still do this, but sometimes I'll get up to five, six, seven things. I'm like, finally, OK, I need to get up. But what'll happen is during the day you'll start to find that you'll be grateful for little things. You'll be in the shower and just think, "Oh, it's so nice that the water is warm." You know. Yes,
1: yeah, it's, yeah.
0: It's so nice that you know, and I, you know, I might even think, "Well, it's going to drive my bill up, right?" But it's nice I've got the money to pay the bill. You know. Um, and when I get together with friends, I'm going to be really grateful after COVID. But if I get together and go out, yes. With friends, you know, just to have that gratitude and. It will start to gradually pull you out of this funk because the one thing is when you're in grief or when you're depressed and they're related but not the same, everything is bad. Everything is negative. Yeah, it's all you right. can focus on. And that's a human right. thing. Our brains are evolved to focus on the thing that's negative because that's what keeps us alive. If there's a tiger running at us, we want to focus on the tiger, Quite not on bit. the flower. Right. So our brains are evolved that way, but we've got to retrain our brains to say it's not all bad, this isn't all bad, this this might have been the worst thing that could have happened, but something good can come of it, something good has come of it. And um, and I love when I, I listen to you and you, you describe the afterlife, you describe who we are and everything, and people think, oh, this is too good to be true. I know. This, I, this, that's a
1: complaint I get, believe it or not. People don't believe it because it's too good to be true. <laughs> you right.
0: You know, it's funny. I was listening to to Lee Whitting, uh, the host of Ian's radio show, and he he did a sermon over Christmas, and he talked about Santa Claus. And this is, I thought, a really interesting connection. We teach little kids about Santa Claus, and then they get to eight or nine, ten years old, and then they find out Santa Claus isn't real. Right. So then they look around. They go, "Well, what else isn't real? Is God real? Is <laughs> That's Jesus real?"
1: Yes, that's and, a and huge I, I problem.
0: hadn't really thought about it that way before. My parents did not teach me about Santa Claus, but a lot of people are like, you're not going to fool me again. There yeah. is no something for nothing. There's, there is no happily ever after, you know, and it's hard to believe that when we come here that we can't mess this up. <laughs> no matter what we do, I we know. are guaranteed to go back home and everything's going to be okay. Um, and that's a really hard thing, I think, for sometimes for people to accept.
1: No, I, I think that's really true. Um, I uh, you, You've got the, your whole grief program starts with gratitude. And there's a lot more in the book about this, by the way. But I thought this was an interesting summary of what your grief program is. First exercise. Go, this goes after gratitude. Exercise. Feeding your mind. Meditation service and reading all right between feeding your mind and reading what's the difference there
0: reading is one way of of feeding your mind Um, a lot of times when people again early in grief and i I really wrote my book from a point where i was pretty early in my grief and i really targeted people that are early in the grief yeah a lot of times people early in the grief they can't read they can't focus they they literally will read a page and they cannot remember what they have read and they'll read it over and over and over again which is why my book's also out in audio but I also encourage people to to listen to podcasts, listen to uplifting music. I, I listen to music that that changes my mind. Um, you know yes. Paul talks about renewing our mind, and we need to renew our minds. we've got we've to get out of this way of thinking that the materialistic way that the world teaches us. So for my for my personal practice, I do all of the above. I do gratitude practice, first thing when I get up, before I get out of bed, uh, I get up, I put on my shoes, I walk for seven miles. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I listen to podcasts while I'm walking. Um, you know, I I come back, I work, then I'll I'll meditate once or twice during the day. we all sit down and do a formal meditation. Um, and what the things that I read, you know, it's fine. People read novels. I don't. I read things about the afterlife. I'm constantly, you know, feeding myself on this. What is the real reality? What is what's the real world? What why am I really here? And and, and getting out of looking at just my own life. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we you talked about service. Service is really important, but it doesn't. Again, you don't have to join an organization. Just what can I do today to wherever I am to be a better person? If you if you're going into work, how can I make someone's you know day a little bit better? If you're when you're dealing with you know essential workers, you're at a grocery store, you know, be kind to the clerk. We never know how these little things are going to impact other people um and what i also tell people is remember you're going to have a life review one day and you're going to be judging yourself so every day when you when you're going through your day put a little something good in there for yourself when you get to the end
1: lots of treats exactly that's what i do too it makes a huge difference brian we're coming toward the end of our time together what do you hope people will take away from our conversation today
0: the biggest thing I want to tell people is um, there's hope. You know, when you're when you're in grief, a lot of times we feel like it's going to be this way forever. It's never going to get any better. It can. And it is a choice, but it can get better if you choose to make it uh, make it get better. So that's the biggest thing I want people to know. I, I the one thing that breaks my heart more than anything is when I work with uh, uh, someone and he says I can never heal. Or I'm never going to see my loved one again. You will yes. see your loved one again. You're absolutely guaranteed. There, There's nothing that can keep you separated from the love of your loved one. And if you remember that every day, you know, just put one foot in front of the other. Just if you can only make it through the next minute, make it through the next minute. And the minute becomes an hour, an hour becomes a day. And eventually you're like I am five and a half years out, which I never, ever thought I'd get here. So yeah. if I can do it, anybody can
1: yes and it looks to me just talking about your life that you've kind of made the most of your life it seems to be much more uh, positively structured than many people's lives are and maybe you felt you needed to do that in order to get yourself together enough to go forward with grief um so that in that also um it was a gift to you not all gifts are fun to receive but they're gifts just the same
0: yeah well i you know the thing is i just kind of Stumbled across all these different things I'm doing, and I shared them with people. and And frankly, now I have to do it because if I stop doing it, then <laughs> I'm a hypocrite.
1: Yes, so, yes. Uh, so you've got to be the model. I know that.
0: That's yeah, true. Yeah. So, but I, you know, it's it's really I think what life's about. It's it's a practice. It's a discipline, and it's 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 like going to the gym. You know, you have to lift weights if you want to get stronger.
1: Please consider yourself hugged and please hug Tawana as well because I think you both are terrific and I'm so grateful to have had you with us today.
0: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> we always have fun. You can find Brian at grieftogrowth.com with the two grief. To Growth, all strung together. That's his website. It's going to be in the, the notes as well. And um, if you if you need Brian's help, I know all you need to do is reach out. He is the most giving person you can imagine. So thank you so much, my dear, and big hug. And and um, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you were with us today, and, and I hope that you had something to take away from it. Please never forget. You are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you fully grasp all the implications of that fact, it's going to change everything, everything in your life for the better. Next week, we'll be talking with Dr. Alan Leica for the first time. Dr. Leica is one of the world's leading cosmetic dermatologists and a pioneer in cosmetic surgery. In 2003, his life changed, and this is when. When these life-changing things happen, they often lead to great a great deal of growth. His life changed because he, he dis, developed what they called a right foot drop. And then he was misdiagnosed as having ALS, which is commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Yes, I was able to say it. But anyway, this is a death sentence. But he was misdiagnosed. And because of what he learned from that experience, Dr. Leica has co-authored a book called The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life with Harriet Tinka, who won't be with us next week, but has another wonderful story, all her, all her own. He's working on other books, too. And he is just full of life. This is a man that you are really going to enjoy hearing from. So please do join us next week. I think you're going to have a lot to take away from it. Um, And this week, of course, we've been talking with my dear, wonderful, precious friend, Brian D. Smith, who's been with us for the second time. I first met Brian very soon after the transition of Shana, his beautiful 15-year-old daughter. And we all say that about people's children, but this is really a beautiful, beautiful child. I think you can see in her face the kind of elevated being that I'm sure she was when she came here briefly to, to help her parents, which is why she did all of this, I'm sure. But I was so impressed with him that I did something I've really only done twice, I think, in five years. I invited him to share his blog post about Shana's death and and his own early growth on my own blog in November of 2015. And we kept in touch. And I've watched him grow as he you see he has grown as a result of what happened in his life. He needed to figure things out. He needed to get past being afraid of death. He needed to learn what his place was in helping people to get through what had happened to him. His book is called Grief to Growth, Planted, Not Buried. And he has a podcast by the same name. So you can look him up and get to know him better. My friend Brian D. Smith is a lovely, earnest man with such a fire in his belly for helping other grieving parents. It's a joy to see, and it's a joy to know him, frankly. You can reach him through his website, grieftogrowth.com, and of course, the two is spelled with the number two. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and when Thomas decides it's time to release it, the fun of loving Jesus, embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus. And you can order all these books through Amazon or through bookstores. All the adult books are also available as audio books so that it's it's comfortable and easy to read them. If, as Brian says, um, you're in a situation where you just can't focus your mind, you still can listen. If you want to talk about anything, about my books or if you have a question or whatever you'd like to talk about, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email, even though sometimes it takes the better part of a week when I get a lot of them. But please just make sure I have your right email address so that I can be sure to get back to you. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Some of the people I especially enjoy are those at the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. More and more people tell me now that they listen also just through the, the Seek Reality app that you can find for free in the iTunes app store. And of course, if you ever wonder where Seek Reality is being heard now, and we, we don't do live for a lot of reasons. One of which it puts, is that it puts additional pressure on me. But um, just go to robertagrimes.com and click on the radio tab. I'm going to be doing this, I think, forever. Um, we're about we're coming up on eight years now of Seek Reality episodes, and we're still going strong. If you enjoy our weekly conversations, you might also want to check out the blog at robertagrimes.com. I, I we don't any more do guest blogs, but um, we work out some of the things in more depth, some of the things we talk about here. And uh, there are wonderful people who come on Sundays because it, the new post goes up every Sunday morning. And they we, we just have good conversations through the comment section. It's It's a wonderful experience for me and I think a lot of people enjoy it too. So that's another way that we can stay in touch. My whole role in your life is to try to help you do in maybe a couple of years what it has taken me 50 years to do and gloriously last week i heard from someone who told me how desperately afraid he had been two years ago which is the first time i heard from him and he told me it did take him just about two years to go from a terrible fear of death to this wonderfully enlightened person that he is now two years that's not much time to spend when the, the payoff of it is that you'll have a much happier life for the rest of your life. If you need to know more about that, just just email me. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you in particular are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions
0: at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.